great to see you all here this morning. You can go ahead and, uh, and have a seat. Uh, welcome to Faith. Glad you decided to join us this morning, whether it's uh, here at church or, or, or online. Uh, just glad to, to worship with you all today. <clears throat> Before we uh, turn our attention to the Word, I, I want to raise up a prayer uh, on behalf and, and, and in honor of fathers uh, this morning. Being Father's Day, just want to celebrate that. And so if you would all join me in prayer as, uh, as we turn to God uh, now. Heavenly Father, today we thank you for our earthly fathers and for those who have cared for us as father figures. For the many times they reflected the love and strength and generosity, the wisdom, grace, and mercy that you exemplify in your relationship with us, your children. We honor our fathers for putting our, uh, for putting our needs above their own and above their own convenience and comfort, uh, for teaching us to show courage and determination in the face of adversity, for challenging us to move beyond self-limiting boundaries, and for modeling qualities that guide us to becoming uh, gracious and caring and, and humble human beings. We also acknowledge with understanding and lament that our fathers are sinful and have made mistakes, some which have been hard to bear and have left wounds that are both seen and unseen. Give us the grace to see and confess and learn from their mistakes, or give them the grace to see and confess and learn from their mistakes. Give us the grace to extend to them the same forgiveness that you offer to us all. Help us to resist the urge to stay stuck in past bitterness and instead do the hard work of moving forward with humility and peace of heart. Lord, we ask for your blessing on those men who served as father figures in our lives when our biological fathers weren't able to do so. May the love and selflessness that they showed us be returned to them in all their relationships and help them to know that their influence has changed us for the better. God, give new and future fathers the guidance they need to raise happy and holy children grounded in a love for God and for other people. And Lord, remind all fathers that treating their wives with dignity and compassion and respect is one of the greatest gifts that they can give their children. God, please comfort those who wish to be fathers but have not yet received that blessing. Please comfort those fathers who have lost their children and surround them with those who love them today. And please comfort all whose fathers have already passed on and bless them with sweet memories of their love. And as much as we love our earthly fathers and rejoice in the blessing of being fathers ourselves, please never let us forget that it is you, God in heaven, who is our everlasting father, whose love is eternal and whose faithfulness never fails. Thank you for your holy fatherhood to us. It is in your name. And it is Amen. like over a gillion stuff. Helping someone even if you don't want to. When your parents or your teachers don't tell you to. Giving away stuff that you really, really like. If they want your toys, I'll share. Sale. Toys. It's smiling and saying good things about them. I should say, you have very nice clothes on. I hope my mommy. I played with Another person on the playground when she didn't have anybody to play with. When people are loving to me, I feel like I should do it to someone else. Because Jesus did the same for us. It's like your daughter says you will have them do to you. That you should treat the other one just like I've been treated before. Not like bad, but the kind I've been good treated. Nobody really wants to play with somebody who's being mean. 
Being kind is helping those in need. Give them some food. Get fish and bread and green beans and peas and apples. I'll ask my mom and or dad, can we go get food for this hungry person that I found? Um, what is hugging your mom and helping her wash the dishes? I just get the water thing and just spray them. People show me love by holding my hand, and they also give me a kiss from the head when I'm asleep very lightly. There's people that don't get love in other places of the world. You help them. Just help people. If we show people love, they can spread it all around the world. Okay, come here, Mommy. <laughs> I'll show her something. I'll show you something. Come here, Mommy. Love is like over a gillion stuff. Love is helping people. If we show people love, they can spread it all around the world. We show people love because Jesus did the same for us. I'd like to think the Apostle John, if he were able to see this video, would agree with these kiddos that love is indeed all of these things and much, much more. Throughout the, our study of this, of this letter of 1 John, we've seen John return to this topic of love over and over again. In fact, the word love is translated from agape, which means, has such meanings as graciousness or loving kindness or empathy and sacrifice for others. And, the, and this word is found in the, in the letter of 1 John over 30 times in just five chapters. And in, and in fact, in the verses we'll look at today, it's, it's seen in thir- at least 13 times in just those six verses. Love is absolutely essential to the life and the character of anyone who claims to believe in the one true God and follow his son, Jesus Christ. And John declares this and specifically commands us to love one another in the passage of scripture we'll be looking at this morning, which is 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. And I'll read that, I'll read that for you all now. Again, this is 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. There John wrote, Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we, ought, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Another, word to, another way to capture what John is saying here is to say that we must love one another like God loves us, to show and to share with the world what it really means to know him. In verse 7, John repeats a command that he's actually uh, already brought up a couple of different times in his letter, and it's a basic command that Christians must love one another. And at this point, I have to wonder if his original readers, and, and maybe some of us as well, might, might kind of be thinking, all right, John, I get it. Love is great. You're, you're a really big fan of this love idea. What possibly more could you have to say on this subject at this point? And as it turns out, the answer is quite a bit. Because in verses 7 and 8, he starts listing off these reasons that why we as followers of Jesus must be committed to loving one another. 
He says we must love one another because love is from God. He says that in verse 7, and then in verse 8, he goes on to say that God is love. And this is a profound reality-changing sort of statement because John is offering us a glimpse here into the, into the nature and into the essence of the holy God. We worship the God that declares himself right alongside things like being light and truth and glorious and powerful and eternal and much, much more. God declares that he himself is love. That's, that's one of his defining self-described characteristics. Therefore, if we want to be proper image bearers of God, which is what the Bible tells us we were created to do, to show God off to this world and to the people of this world, then we must be people that are characterized by love in our words, in our thoughts, in our actions, and especially in our interactions with the people around us. John also says that we must love one another because love is, is the best evidence that we have of truly being born of God or being born again, as he said in verse 7, where he says, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And I think one of the most common questions I hear from, from fellow believers in, in Jesus, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, is wanting to know, you know, how do I really know that I've been saved? How do I really know that my faith in Jesus has, has stuck, has took, that it's doing what it's supposed to be doing in my life? And it's an understandable question. I don't think we should feel bad for, for wondering it, because for a lot of us, our, our testimony, our, our story about coming to faith in Jesus Christ and confessing him and, as, and our need for him as our Savior, it doesn't include the things that we sometimes read in the Bible, like the ground shaking or, or the skies opening up and, and seeing some sort of vision. And so it's only natural to want some sort of assurance, some sort of, of understanding or test to see if our faith is, is really doing what it's supposed to. And John understands that. So here in this passage, he offers a pretty simple diagnostic. He says, do you love one another, and is that love growing? Do you love one another, and is that love growing? And this, this test, this idea, this measure of our faith isn't something that John came up with all on his own. He actually learned it straight from Jesus. Because in the Gospel of John, in, verse, in chapter 13, verses 33 through 35, we find Jesus talking to his disciples, and there he, there he tells them, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you, you're my disciples if you love one another. This is an indicator of how our relationship with God is doing. And what the Bible tells us, what John's telling us here, is that if you experience this, if you have this, this growing desire to love one another, if you have this growing pattern in your life of, growing, of loving one another, then your faith is indeed doing what it's supposed to be doing. It's, it's moving you and transforming you in a way that God would expect. On the other hand, John says that, uh, tells us that if there is an unwillingness to love, all right, if, there's, if there's a lack of love in our lives, then that could be an indicator that something is very seriously wrong. Because whoever does not love does not know God. And if you do not love the people around you, if you're unwilling to work on loving the people around you, you cannot know God. It's that simple and it's that blunt and it's that jarring and it's meant to be because it's supposed to pull our attention to this need of loving one another. And so often what, what the question this sort of a statement brings out was, well, well who counts as one another? Right? Who, who am I supposed to pay attention to? Who am I supposed to love under this command of loving one another? And this is a great big question that has a very simple answer and that has a more uh, complex or, or complicated answer, right? The simple answer is this. One another most definitely means uh, your brothers and sisters in Christ, right? It most definitely means the people in your local church, the people here at Faith, the, the Christians and, and the other believers that we have here. And it also means those believers all over the world, 
And so you want to love one another locally, but you also want to have a love and, and, and an admiration, a love for those that are your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world. We need to prioritize and cherish this work of love that we have for one another here in the church. And, but also, whether you choose to justify it here in this passage or wh- whether you go to other places in Scripture, John also probably has in mind loving one another in the sense of loving those that are not believers in Jesus, uh, lo- loving those that have not yet come to a confession of faith. This is why here at this church, when we talk about our mission, what we want to do, we talk about it in, in terms of we want to make disciples of Jesus who love God, love one another, and love their neighbors, all right? We want to see all of those elements be a part of what it means to, to walk with Christ. And so if you're here with us this morning and you don't believe in Jesus, we want you to know that we love you. We want you to know that we're happy that you're here. Uh, we're, we're honored that you would make faith a place that you come to, to explore Christianity and, and answer some questions. And uh, we hope that you're, you feel welcome and that this is a, a safe place for you to ask questions and get to know God a little bit more. And so those, those are kind of the simple answers. Love, loving one another definitely means those within the church, but also means those outside the church, those who are still seeking the Lord. The more complicated or complex answer to this question is when you start asking the question, okay, but what happens when I'm called to love somebody who, who isn't loving toward me? And in fact, what happens if, if I have somebody in my life, if I have a relationship with somebody uh, who, who, who is hard to love, difficult to love, who might even be uh, dangerous or, or, uh, or, or um, abusive for me to, to be around? And diving deep into this issue is, is a little bit beyond the purview of, of this text, and so I, I don't have a lot of time to spend on it this morning, but I think it's important that we pause and, and take a look at this, this, this idea and, and say a couple things here. I would argue that more often than not, Christians should still love somebody, strive to love somebody, even when that person is is difficult, even when that person is cruel, or maybe even be harmful for you to, to, to be around, that it might be dangerous for you to engage them. We are called to love our enemies. And part of what the part of what being a Christian, part of what following Christ allows you to do is, is have the ability, have the willingness to sacrifice things like your safety or your security. It's also entirely possible that the power of your example to love, love these people, the, the, your willingness to extend love to, to these folks might be something that they need to spark a change in their life. All right? Having someone love them in this way and keep pursuing them in love, even when they're being mean or nasty or harmful, uh, might be something that, that jars them into seeing God in a way that they've never seen him before. It might spark the transformation that they need to move closer to the Lord and have that change occur in their life. All right, however... Even with that in mind, however, there are circumstances, especially when someone is actively or intentionally being abusive toward you or someone you love or using their, their power to keep you locked into a situation that is dangerous, to keep you locked into a situation that is abusive. In those circumstances, it's okay to acknowledge that love might be impossible in, in that moment. And I want you to know that God understands those sort of situations and circumstances. He understands that there is suffering that comes along with this willingness to love. And in fact, sometimes that suffering moves into the realm of injustice, all right? And he understands that there, there might be situations in which you need to withdraw and allow others to love you by coming in and, and helping you, by offering protection, by speaking up for you on your behalf, and, and even holding those that are, that are being unloving towards you accountable or calling, calling them out and holding them responsible for the actions that they're taking. The command to love one another should not trap someone in an abusive relationship or an, or an abusive situation. And, it shouldn't, and, and no one should be able to use this command in order to, to lord it over somebody or keep them, uh, keep them locked into this based on their, on their patience or their willingness to, to, try to, to, to try to continue to love someone. 
We should strive to love one another, and, but sometimes doing that is part of a process, it's part of a journey, and you can only go so far in, in those steps as you, as you learn to love. Um, but we also need, to, when, we, when we're striving to love somebody, we need to do so with wisdom and discernment and an awareness of the difference between patience and permissiveness and the difference that that takes um, when we're interacting with those relationships. And so what I want you to hear in regards to this is that if you find yourself in a relationship like this, you know somebody, um, it could be a friend, it could be a family member, it could be, it could be someone that you know, um, where you're experiencing this, this difficulty and, and this, this kind of a relationship where abuse may even be happening, the church is a safe place to come talk to. And we want to be able to, to equip you, to pray for you, to resource you, uh, to help you in those, in those moments, to step in and be your ally if that's necessary. Um, we want to, to encourage everyone to continue to love each other, but we also want to be sure that we're here in those moments where different action might need to be taken. And so please feel free to reach out to the church in, at those times. But coming back uh, to verses 7 and 8, and coming, uh, coming back to, to the passage here, you could summarize these verses simply as, we must love one another because love is from God, and God is love. We must love one another because it's one of God's defining characteristics. And if we want to be people of God, then we have to be people who are willing to commit to loving one another. The simple arithmetic of Scripture is this. If God says to do it, then it's something we have to do. Right? It's something we have to strive for. It's, it's as simple as that. God asks us, commands us to love one another, and so we need to pursue that. We must love one another like God loves us in order to, to show and share with the world what it re- means to really know him. So what might this love look like? What does it mean to try to love one another? What do we need to know about this? Well, John tackles that in verses 9 and 10. And there we saw that, he, that John said, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, these two verses, as I studied them this week, really changed a lot of of some of my perspective on love and how I approached it, changed my understanding because there's something quite profound and and quite beautiful here if you take the time to to notice. In verse 7, John commands us to love one another and then curiously through the rest of these verses, he says almost nothing about the other that we're supposed to love, this, this one another person that we're supposed to love. John clearly lays out a definition and an example and a standard of love in these verses, but he doesn't go about saying, you know, find something about other people that you can love, find something to appreciate, uh, invest in, in, in your love because of who they are or what they've done. John's understanding of love isn't based on something within ourselves or within the people around us. His foundation, his motivation for the love that we should have for one another is from God and from looking at the love that God has put on display for us, especially in the wondrous gift of his son, Jesus Christ. Like the the kids in the video that we watched at the beginning, humans are very good at coming up with some really wonderful and sweet reasons to love one another and to show love one another, and, and, and that's great. But those all pale in comparison when we look at the way that God showed us love. God showed his love among us, meaning that he came to us personally. He came to live and breathe and walk and laugh and cry and love alongside of us in real incarnational life. He sent his one and only son out of the perfection of heaven and into the muck of this fallen world that we might truly live, no longer condemned uh, to death by sin, but made truly alive by grace through faith in Jesus. He did all of this without having received love from us first. Right? That's hugely important to, to recognize. He did all of this without having received love from us first. 
God gave himself to us before we ever really fully understood why we needed, how badly we needed his patience and his, his presence and his peace. In fact, the Bible tells us that, that God acted on our behalf while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies, resistant and rebellious and consumed with the idea of our own glory. And that love that he gave to us went farther than simply spending time with us or teaching us how to live better lives. God's love is redemptive, and it's redemptive at great cost. Because Jesus was sent knowingly and intentionally and willingly to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins, to answer for our disobedience, to die in our place so that we could all have this loving relationship with God forever. This is radical love unleashed. This is the kind of love that the world cannot fathom, right? It can't replicate, and it comes nowhere near imitating. This is the kind of love that, that really, if, if you look at how love is talked about or presented in our society, we, it's very quick to notice that it's completely different than the kind of love that's talked about here. All right, if you think about the way that we see that the world talks about love and you look at these verses, you start to notice how devastatingly low the bar is for love in the world around us. All right, love is something that can be marketed, commodified, and, and, and sold off as cheap entertainment. Love, the world tells us, is whatever we want it to be. It's a feeling, it's an emotion, it's a passion, and most important of all, it's satisfaction. And if it ever fails to be any of those things for you, just throw it away and try again somewhere else. But no, says First John. No, says God. Love, biblical love, drawn from the example of the holy God, is, is love, love is willing, a willingness to give up yourself for the sake of another. Right? Love is a willingness to give up of yourself, give yourself for the sake of another. Love is sacrifice. True love is learned at the throne of God and at the cross of Christ and from our knees kneeling next to the water as we wash another's feet. Love is the willing and humble sacrifice to, to give and, to, and, and to, to give of ourselves and sacrifice of ourselves for the people around us. This is just like what Jesus commanded in John chapter 15. Where he said, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is when we seek to love one another, is it all based off of what they've done for us or what they could do for us? Something about, that, something we've noticed about them, something that you know, we expect to have from them in order to exchange this love for them. Or is our love based off of what we see in the example of God and that God loves them first? Do we love people because God loves them and he loves us as well? We must love one another like God loves us to show and share with the world what it really means to know him. Now, the truth of it is I, I don't think we get this perfect all the time. In fact, truth be told, our average is probably going to be pretty low and, and maybe not that great. Uh, but one of the beautiful things about following Jesus is that it's okay to be on a journey where you learn and you grow and you get better at being a disciple. You get better at this idea of loving one another. And, and you might be kind of bad at it one day, you might struggle with it one day, but you can commit to, to learning more about God and, and, and investing in the idea of learning how to love and be better at it the next day. And even if you stumble a little bit, even if you, if you have a day where you're unloving, you can go to the Lord and, and seek him out and ask for forgiveness and seek repentance and get back on a path where you're able to learn what it really means to truly love people the way the Lord does. Learning to love like God loves is a lifelong commitment. It's a, it's a lifelong work, but one that is most definitely worth it. Because when we put in that work, something amazing happens. 
And it's what John describes in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 4. There he said, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Now, no one has ever seen, no one has ever seen God may seem like a, kind of an odd and out of context thing for John to drop right here. But I think he's trying to help us understand that our love for one another can be kind of a proof or, or, or an evidence to those that are seeking God that he really is there and that he really is loving. Because the truth is that although God is, is wholly other, right? He's, he's different than us. God's not a human being. He's not part of creation. He's, he's over creation. He's sovereign over it all. He is the creator. Nevertheless, God has always wanted to be close to us. Right? God has always wanted to communicate with us. His desire has always been for, to be our God and for us to be his people. As he says in Jeremiah 30, 22, you will be my people and I will be your God. That's his desire. That's his heartbeat. The story of the Bible is in some ways the story of God working his hardest to deal with our sins so that we can have this rich relationship with him. He created the world. He established a nation. He visited us through, through tabernacles and temples. He, he spoke to the prophets. He counseled kings. He took on flesh to walk side by side with us and then suffered death in order to break its power over us. And now his spirit lives within those who call upon him. And it is that indwelling of the spirit that makes our act of loving one another an imitation of his love for us even more important. Because although God may not be able to be seen in physical form, we can't point to him and say, yes, there it is, there is God. He can be seen in our response to one another as we love him and love others. By loving others in the radical, self-sacrificing way of Jesus, we show the world a little bit of what it's like to have God dwell in us and a little bit of what the God who dwells in us is like. Our love for one another and our love, our love for others is in and of itself a testimony of the gospel. Right? It, it, it's a story, it's, it's a declaring of the kind of love that God expects for us to have for each other, and it's showing the world the kind of love that God has for it. Right? So, he will, so he will do these things through us, he will love uh, through us and, and with us, and in doing so, his love is made complete. It goes through this, this incredible cycle where it perpetuates itself. So he loves us, and we, God loves us, and we learn to love God. And then he directs us to share that love with others. As we do that, other people begin to learn that God loves them, and they in turn love God, and then he tells them to share that love with others. And that cycle continues, and the gospel moves through the world, changing the lives of men and women and children everywhere. Love is indeed over a Gillian stuff, but it is also abundantly and without question a precious gift in the very essence of our loving God. We must love one another like God loves us to show and share with the world what it really means to know him. So in light of all this, a couple questions I would encourage you to think about this week as you ponder this passage or just as you go about your, go about your days. The first one is this. Do you have a healthy understanding and appreciation for the truth that God loves you, right? Do you believe that God loves you? Do you have a healthy understanding and appreciation for the fact that the God of the universe, the God of all creation, loves you? Because remember, our love for one another begins here. It begins with the love of God. And so if we don't have at least some sort of grasp on this idea, this is where our work has to begin. We have to believe this and hold this truth for ourselves and, and trust the Lord that this really is true in, in our lives. And so some things you could do is you could ask other believers about what their experience with the love of God has been like. You could pick a gospel and, and read through it and notice how Jesus, who is God, uh, loves the people that are around him and loves the people that he, that he encounters. 
Right? You could start working on a list of the ways that, that you recognize in your day-to-day life the way that God loves you. Whether you do one of these, one of these things or, or, or choose another way of investing it, investigating it, I, I promise you it's worth the time and the effort to seek out a better understanding, a better appreciation, a better connection with the love of God. The second question is this, is who do you struggle to love? Right? Who do you struggle to love? If you have relationships that are broken, I think it's important for you to know that it's not, it's not God's desire for them to stay that way. And I know that's hard because I know that so many of us desire to have relationships that we desire to be repaired, uh, but, and we've, we've given what we can and we're waiting to, to receive that same desire uh, coming back to us from, from the other person. But the important thing is to keep your heart open to it and to keep yourself before the Lord in recognition of the fact that you really do desire reconciliation and repair to happen within that relationship. If you are at odds with a brother or sister in Christ in such a way where your love for each other is hindered, then it needs to be a priority. It needs to be your priority work to work on that relationship. You need to do so humbly, right, humbly, and with a willingness to listen and compromise, to share your pain, and then to even confess some of your own wrongdoing. But it, this is an important and a key and a, and a necessary, uh, necessary work in the life of believers, especially the, you know, in, uh, among uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Additionally, if you struggle to love people, uh, a particular kind of people, if you struggle to love people of a a particular race, ethnicity, uh, political affiliation, social status, gender, intelligence, or any other qualifier, remember that God chose chose to love you without qualification, right? And you're not allowed to have greater standards than God. God chose you to love, love you without qualification. And so you need, you need to, to set aside those things that are barriers and, and move toward loving the, all people in, in a way that, that, that you, shows that you have reflected on the love of God and what he has for you. You have to do the hard work of seeing and valuing people the way that God sees and values them. That doesn't mean that you pretend like differences don't exist or that you just look over sins. You don't want to dismiss those things. But it does mean that, you commit to, that your commitment to love is stronger than your commitment to things like disdain or disregard for others. So this morning, if you know that there is someone in your life that you struggle to love, I beg you to commit to the, to the work of praying for that person, for praying for yourself, praying for that relationship, praying for, for those people that you need to have a soft heart toward that you might be able to, to love them the way that God loves them and loves you. And finally, the third question is, who do you know that needs some love, right? Who do you know that needs some love? Who do you know that, that needs you to, to pick up the phone and call them and, and let them know that you care and, and just check in and, and see how their lives are going? Which neighbor do you have whose whole outlook on life might be changed if instead of just seeing you go in and out you know, your door on a day-to-day basis, then instead they see you walking up their sidewalk or, or, or walking up, you know, to their door and, and knocking on their door, ringing the doorbell and just to check in and see how they're doing and, and get to know them. Who needs you to, to take some initiative and drop off a dinner or uh, invite them over for coffee or go on a walk in the park with them just in, for, for that connection, for that opportunity to build relationship? Who needs to know that you are praying for them? Right? Who needs you to be a little bit bolder and offer to pray with them in, in that moment? Which of your brothers or sisters in Christ needs you to sit down and listen to their pain and their worries and their fears? And who among you today needs to be brave and vulnerable and let us, your brothers and sisters in Christ, know that you have things that you need prayed for. You have, you have things that you need to talk about, things you need to share in order to, to work through some of your, your own issues and, and, and help, uh, let us help you carry your, carry your pain and your burden. 
I can't tell you who in your life needs some love, but I can, I, I can assume, I, I have a hunch, that if you took a little time to make a list, it wouldn't take it very long for it to grow long. And, le- and you could see very clearly the kind of work that could be before you as, you as you seek to connect and love people. So I challenge you to take this command seriously. Make it a priority. Shape your life around this idea of loving one another. Be bold enough to share your love and be humble enough to ask for it and receive it from others. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We must love one another like God loves us to show and share with the world what it really means to know him. Would you all please pray with me? Father God, it is incredible that, that you call us to love, that, that, that your expectation, your desire, your command to us is to love one another, and that what we should be doing in this world is seeking ways to, to connect with folks, to love them based on the fact that you love them, motivated by, by the truth that you, Lord, love them, and, and we should follow you in that pattern. So God, give us the strength uh, to, to do that, the clarity, the wisdom to pursue that. Uh, give us the humility to, to interact with others. And and yeah, Lord, just let love be something that goes forth from from our lives, from this congregation, and and fills our relationships, our communities, um, you know, fills this, this city of Manhattan with your love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.